If this is the first time that you've engaged with us, welcome, really glad that you found us online. Uh, if you've been a part of the Barton community for a while, then um, fantastic, you know who I am. I'm Oz Power, uh, the pastor here, part of a great leadership team and staff team and great church. So welcome, and we have just started a series looking at Psalms, Songs for Life. And over the summer period, they're gonna be our focus. Uh, we've asked our preachers to select psalms of significance, meaning, relevance, maybe their favourite psalm, and preach on them. Teach what the Bible says and help us to live life full of uh, worshipful um, yeah, commitment to God. And maybe you're a Christian and that's something you do and you're familiar with, then I hope these psalms help that. Uh, and if you're exploring what the Bible is all about, who Jesus is, then psalms at the middle of the Bible in the Old Testament are a great um, eye-opening uh, portion of scripture to understand more. So we're going to dive in now, I'll pray, and then we're going to yeah, work our way through Psalm 19 together. I'm going to pray. Father God, I pray right now that you would help us to hear your voice for the message that you have for us to come through clearly through Psalm 19 by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd help me to speak um, with truth, with conviction, with love, with leading by your spirit, that we might be built up as your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Psalm 19. Now, 10 years ago, July 2012, was my first ever time at Barton Church. And I was asked to preach. And I chose this psalm, Psalm 19, to preach. I was preaching with a view, preaching to kind of test the water of this church, to see whether it was a good fit for myself and for the church. 10 years on, I'm still here. Um, I'm pleased to say that thankfully the sermon went okay um, and they invited me back for another chance to speak and then be interviewed. And since September 2012, I've been a part of the church family as a member, as on staff, uh, on, on the eldership team as pastor. And I thought it'd be really fitting for me to go back to this sermon and preach it 10 years on. I can't quite believe it's been 10 years, but it has. And I'm so excited about what God has done over the years and what God has got in store for the years to come. But what I also reflected on was that that same psalm has the same significance and relevance even today. Thankfully, I don't have quite so many nerves today. I'm doing this to a camera. I'll be also preaching in person on, on um, Sunday. Um, the, the 17th of July, just over 10 years since I first preached this message. So what is it that God has in store for us from Psalm 19 today that was relevant 10 years ago and is still relevant today? It's all about a life-transforming message. That's what Psalm 19 is about. And I wonder whether you've ever wandered along a beach and hoped to find a message in a bottle. Maybe a bit like this. Uh, here's one I made earlier, a message in a bottle. Hopefully I'll be able to take the, the, the stopper off and get the message out, otherwise we won't be able to use this bottle as a lovely light in our room anymore. But maybe you've wondered about that. It's the kind of thing that you see on films, isn't it? When, uh, or in books, stories of people lost at sea, writing a message, um, asking for rescue, popping in a bottle, chucking it into the sea and hoping that the tide, the waves carry it to a shore and someone will come and rescue that individual. The problem is that it might take weeks, months, years for that bottle to arrive at a beach and to be found. 
and I'm sure there are stories out there of that happening. But imagine that happens. You pull the message out of the bottle and you find maybe a, a, a language you can't read. Maybe it's years old, it's ancient, it's outdated and it suddenly becomes irrelevant. Someone might have needed saving, but how on earth can you fulfill that task and bring salvation? The need for rescue was there, but it's too late. And I think sometimes we can and people can see the Bible and maybe the Psalms, but certainly the Bible, God's message as a bit like a message in the bottle, trapped, irrelevant, outdated. But I want to say no, the message of Psalm 19, the message of the Bible is relevant today. Yes, it might be ancient, but it's historically grounded and reliable. It's relevant, it's spectacular, it's life-changing, it's life-refreshing, it gives hope, it gives meaning, it gives purpose. And it's about rescue that's still available today. And so it's urgent. And as we explore this psalm, I hope that those themes will come out and we'll see why it's such an important message that isn't just washed up on a beach to a random person that finds it, but is a message that's actually available to us all today. So, Psalm 19, written by David. We don't know when for sure. We don't know in what context and occasion, but he wrote many psalms and it would have been sung in the temple. It had been sung by him um, at the time of his writing, but for years beyond that, it would have been used in temple worship. And it's a part of the psalms that are about the law of the Lord, the word of God, the Torah, and a celebration and a commitment to that. It's actually one of my favourite psalms um, for various reasons. One, it's got some themes in it that I absolutely love. Nature, the world, a creation. Camping is in there and I'm a camper. Um, marriage, uh, running is in there and I'm a runner. Gold, who doesn't like a bit of gold? Not that I have much. And honey. Wow, some amazing metaphors. And that's before we even unpack what those metaphors mean and why they all point to God, our Lord, our great rock and redeemer. This is what C.S. Lewis, the famous author and poet, said about this great poem. I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So I stand with good company when I say this is one of my favourite psalms. And, and psalms are rich in theology, they're rich in poetry, obviously, and they combine the two and they make this rich theology relevant for you and me today, even though it's an ancient document. It's not a message that is trapped in a bottle, unable for us to understand. It's one that's been revealed. And actually the psalms are all about revealing who God is. And Psalm 19 is so much about that. We're going to see the, the, the meaning, the message of the skies, the message of the scriptures and the message of the servant as we work our way through. And what we will discover that God reveals himself to us through the word of God, the Psalms, through the creation and through the experience of the servant, of David himself. And as he does that, he reveals purpose. And so the question that you might also be asking is, what is the purpose of this message? What, why does this make a difference? How can this impact me? And we look for purpose in all sorts of things, don't we? We look for purpose in science, in relationships, in work, in life, in self. We're crying out for meaning, for, for answering the question of why. 
And what we discover through this psalm, that he has not left us in the dark, having to hunt around for meaning. Now, my um, wife Nadia has got a brother and he received one of the coolest presents once. Let me show you what it was. Anyone know what this is? Yes, night vision goggles. And so we were around the house a few weeks back and he was clearing out his things and he came across the, the night vision goggles that he got for his birthday once. And so obviously we all tried them on. We love as a family to play murder in the dark when we all gather. Of course the kids were all after this, plus the adults. And we did indeed use it. Probably cheating a bit really. But anyway, night vision goggles designed to help you see in the night so that you don't grope around in the dark aimlessly but instead have the ability to see. Maybe not quite so clearly as the day, but see something. The Bible and the Psalms are not this kind of map of uh, information that we have to work out with any aid we can grab, with a night vision uh, pair of goggles, with, with a great big kind of search party. They've been revealed to us to help us see because the light has come. And through the Psalms, we begin to see how the light has come and be revealed. So let me open up with the first six verses of the psalm to see how God has revealed himself and that we don't have to hunt for him like some search party in the night, groping around in the darkness, but he has revealed himself. And this is what we read, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. And night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The message of the skies. It's clear from that, isn't it? The message of the skies declares the glory of the creator God. The skies, the creation, they reveal the nature of God. The heavens or the skies declaring, proclaiming glory of God, the work of his hands. You see how Psalms work with pairs and synonyms and parallel statements which seek to demonstrate the beauty of the created order that God has made. And so as we work through Psalms, we see these different literary patterns being used to reinforce the same meaning, the skies, the heavens, proclaiming, declaring, the glory of God, the work of his hands. So creation is a glorious thing that God has made. The heavens the expanse of the skies. And this sounds a bit like Genesis 1, doesn't it? And the gen Genesis narrative of the created world. The blue skies we see by day, most of the time at the moment, thankfully. The, the depth of the night as we look into space and see the stars. His glorious creation. The heavens declare that. They proclaim that God created things. And we only need to look at the sky and go, wow, isn't it beautiful? And that's before we begin to unpick a rainforest or a, a kind of ocean depth or a beautiful 
North Downs scene as we look across the orchards and woodlands. What do we learn from this? Well, in verse 2, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. There's a message being communicated. There's a revelation and it's continuous day after day, night after night. They're communicating a message. And it's a message that's all-encompassing. It's not just in the day, it's in the night. You see, the night deepens knowledge, doesn't it? If we only had the day, we'd think that the limit was the blue sky. At night time, we see the limit is beyond that as we see stars in the sky. This last week, I'm sure you've seen some of the quite breathtaking images from the James Webb telescope. Now, that's not obviously the James Webb that works with us, that's a part of the church, although I'm sure he has lots of comments about that. That this Webb telescope has opened up a whole new layer and depth to the universe that we've seen with coloured images, with stellar nurseries and a cosmic dance as has been referred to. It is breathtaking and we are at the edge of beginning to see something more of the wonder of creation. It's a continuous message, it's an all-encompassing message, it's an overflowing message because that verse in verse 2 said it pours forth speech and that that kind of means like a, a gushing spring it's overflowing it's not limited it's constant it's all encompassing it's pouring forth it's overflowing um about 20 years ago i had the opportunity to to go to south africa for six months and a part of my time there was spent at victoria falls in zambia um, it was an amazing holiday uh, we had the idea of camping i've mentioned i like camping next to the falls, not right next to, about a mile away. But what we discovered at night time is that it's quite hard to sleep because a thousand cubic metres of water pouring over the edge of the falls, dropping 108 metres um, constantly is quite noisy. A breadth of, that spans nearly 1,500 metres, a, a spray that rises over 100 metres into the sky so that you can see over a kilometre away, this spray effect is quite something. The noise was immense. The sight was spectacular. And the water continued to gush over and over. There was no end to it. It was the wet season which helped. Such is the message of creation. About what? The glory of the creator. The handiwork of God. Wow. And yet the paradox comes out in verse 3 that even though this message, this speech comes forth, there is no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them. You see, it's a visual message, not a verbal message by sight rather than sound. Look and see, use your eyes to see the evidence of a creator God. That is the the, the nature of this first part of the psalm. And then we move on and we hear, or we come across uh, a, quite an incredible image of the sun and how the sun reveals something of our creator God. Verse four, we see the sun as it rises and as it sets from east to west, day after day, faithfully, unchanging, and yet we see it painted in two pictures. The first, like a bridegroom, coming out of his chamber 
on the wedding day. What does that mean? Full of celebration, anticipation, excitement, joy, enthusiasm, delight to see the beautiful bride. Whoa, God, the creator God, is likened to a bridegroom with the purpose of meeting a bride. This God is, is not just a powerful creator, there's some sort of relational capacity going on here. There's some sort of purpose that we find in this psalm about the heart of God, the heart of love. And then we see it like, him likened to a champion runner, joyfully running around a track in victory, in celebration, having won a champion. My daughter said to me recently, um, when she found out that I was running the marathon, the London Marathon, she said, oh, great, Dad, are you going to try and win? And I looked at her and said, winning isn't about coming first in that race. Winning is standing on the start line. Winning is carrying on going and somehow crossing the finish line. Just completing the race will make me feel like a champion. The champion that is God, that... The created order, the sun is like a champion, the sun is like a bridegroom. What does that point to? That points to a God with purpose, with meaning, with love, with joy, with celebration. So creation, the skies, they reveal something about God to us as we read these words. And they impact us and they, they lead us to go somewhere. They lead us to worship to go, wow, that's amazing. I, I need to express that to someone in words. I need to write a song about that. I need to uh, draw a painting about that. I need to worship the creator. That is the cause of the wonder of creation. And yet we know that many in our world don't worship the creator God. And that breaks our hearts if we're Christians. And in Romans chapter one, Paul says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made so that people are without excuse. And yet in spite of the obvious wonder of creation, people have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. That's the sorry tale of humanity. So where is the hope? Creation gives us no excuse and yet it reveals something about the kind of God that made you and me. It should move us to worship but so often we fail to do that. Where do we go from there? Well in verse 6 we're set up for verse 7. The reference to the sun rising at one end of the heavens, making its circuit and nothing being deprived from its warmth. The skies, the created order, the sun, zooming in on everything for warmth, for life, unrelenting heat. And now we move to not just the message of the skies, but the message of the scriptures and how they bring life, how they reveal truth, how they reveal God. Let's read from verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, 
than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. The message of the scriptures, to desire and delight in them like gold and like honey. That's the message. Why? Because they are life transforming. You see, we, we have a truth stated and then reinforced at least five times, depending on the way that you unpack it. The law of the Lord, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the fear of the Lord, the decrees of the Lord, all these references are about the same thing. They're about the scriptures, not just the Torah, but in fact, all of the writings were included in this. And we can also include the New Testament Gospels. Uh, we know that Jesus used the Old Testament and valued it. And the apostles used the Old Testament and included the Gospels in that as the, the writings of God to be followed and respected and lived by the inspired word and that's what this portion of the psalm is all about it celebrates that god hasn't just revealed his message in creation in a in a speechless voiceless sense it's not just visual it's also written words on paper a message in a bottle but not ancient not out well maybe ancient not outdated and irrelevant relevant life transforming urgent and about rescue because what we read here is that David is celebrating the nature of the law the nature of the decrees the commands they bring life they are refreshing to the soul they are trustworthy they are right they are radiant they are pure they stand firm and what's the impact this is the impact they refresh the soul they make wise the simple, they give joy to the heart, they give light to the eyes, they're enduring forever and all of them are righteous. They are precious, they are sweet, by them the servant is warned and if you keep them there's great reward. What a message, life transforming. And here we see the revelation of God, El, God, the name used for, for multiple gods really in the ancient Near East, in the first six verses is used. The glory of God, uh, the heavens God has pitched a tent within. God moves to Lord, L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the, the name of the covenant God who has revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to Moses, to the people of Israel the name of steadfast love, the one who acts and intervenes and reveals and speaks and saves and offers grace. This is the Lord of the word of God. This is the revelation of God. And it's life-changing and it's the Lord that would become flesh and dwell amongst us. It's the Lord that reveals the very heart and nature of God, which is why it's transformative and changing it, which is why the people of Israel were called to read the word and, and obey the word and proclaim it to one another and sing about it and remind each other in the morning, the afternoon and the evening as they sat at home and as they walked along the streets. It impacts every area of life, which is why it's more precious than gold, which is why it's sweeter than honey. 
to gold, the wealthiest of possessions. The scripture is to be desired more than that. Think about the lengths that miners go to to dig for gold. Not that I've ever done that, but I know that it's hard work. But the reward is great. How hard do you and I dig into the Bible to grasp its meaning? To meditate and reflect and understand it deep within us. I know too often I take shortcuts, even when I'm preparing a sermon or when I'm doing my own devotion times. But it's like gold, it's precious, and that does mean mining, digging deep, asking hard questions, grappling with things, trying to work out what God's saying, but knowing that in that, there will be great reward. John Piper said this about our devotion to the word of God, the Bible. He said, most Christians neglect their Bibles, not out of conscious disloyalty to Jesus, but out of failure to plan a time and a pace and a method to read it. Have you ever thought about intentionally making a plan to read your Bible? Setting aside a time, a place and a method. We looked at this as a family just uh, a month or so ago and we've got a new plan in place that we're kind of sticking to. And we go through seasons where we keep it and we do really well and other seasons where we struggle and it's hard and we need to come back to a new plan and refresh it. At the moment, in the mornings at breakfast, we're reading through Psalms as we are as a church. And as a family, we talk about it and then pray about it. It's a routine. We need that. We should seek it. Some days we don't seek the, the, the word like honey and gold, but at the moment we are. And it's bringing a freshness to our hearts. Personally, I'm, I've just finished reading through two Thessalonians and I'm now diving into the book of Acts and the narratives of the apostles in the early church. And it's amazing. What is it that you're reading at the moment? If you're not, get into the Bible, make a plan, find a place and give it a go. Seek it like gold. But also enjoy it like honey. Yes, there's a discipline and we need a desire, but it can be enjoyed because it's the very revelation of God himself. As we desire and delight in scriptures, we desire and delight in God himself, in Jesus. It feeds our walk with him. It opens up our heart. It helps us to be guided. It, it, verses can come back to us during the day for our encouragement and for our, our blessing to others. When we're struggling with temptation, the word is in us and we can use it against the temptations that come. But it can be enjoyed because the word should be sweet like honey on a crumpet, like honey in your yogurt. Wow. Sweet, desirable, enjoyable, full of delight. Ten years ago, when I first came to Barton, uh, the other thing that I specifically remember about the service, I don't remember really the songs we sang, I do remember what I preached on, uh, but I also remember one other thing, as well as the warm welcome I received. I remember in the service, Jean Adcott, who we love dearly, came to the front and said, Now church, how are you getting on in your Bible in the Year plan? We're in July and you should be halfway through. And she went on to describe how, pe how she was doing a reading of the Bible in the year and encouraged the church to keep going, to keep persevering, to keep enjoying the Bible. She desired it like gold and she delighted in it like honey from the honeycomb. 
maybe there's a challenge for you and for me. And the last part of the psalm, so we've got this move from creation, from the skies to the scriptures. Now, the servant, you and me, David, who writes this, but you and me, as we read this message in a bottle, that's not irrelevant, that is relevant, that might be ancient, but is not outdated, and that can speak life transformation for you and me. Verse 12, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and redeemer. The message of the servant. Help me. Save me. Deliver me. Declare me righteous. How can I discern my errors? In spite of your revelation, in spite of the truth of not just the skies and the creation, but the scriptures, I don't, I don't stand up. I fall short. That's what the psalmist is saying. Who can discern my errors? I can't see all my wrong and my sins. I'm worse than I realise. Help God. We need rescue. We need redemption. That's what's at the heart of the servant's experience. That's the message of the servant to you and me. It's a, but what can I do? I'm unrighteous. I'm not righteous. And so here we see an insight into humility, into honesty, into openness. And like the sun, which nothing can hide from its warmth, the, the message of scripture is you can't hide from the light of God, the truth of his holiness, the nature of his demands on us we can't escape and so all we can say is forgive me help me rescue me declare me righteous deliver me and that's the force of these words in the niv we we get this phrase here um forgive me my hidden faults but it's deeper than that it's it's more than forgive me it's more than just that it's make me blameless and it's declare me righteous that translation seems to hit at the heart of what the hebrew is saying at that point we need to be declared right as well as forgiven and that is only possible through being redeemed and that's why the last few verses of this amazing psalm give us so much hope the message is not i fall short i need deliverance and i i don't know where to find it but instead this, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart, the meditation of the beauty of creation, of the wonder of scripture, be pleasing in your sight, Lord. He's the covenant God of love, but he's also my rock and my redeemer. David knows the Lord as his saviour, his redeemer. And you and I need to know that for ourselves too. When did I last cry out, Lord, save me? Not, not my one-off, kind of one-sentence, forgive me for my sins in my prayer time on my, in the morning, but a genuine cry for rescue, for being reminded that I'm forgiven, that knowing I'm redeemed. Well, we can know that. We can stand in confidence because one came who is that bridegroom, who is that champion, who is that redeemer and that rock, and his name is Jesus. He is the light 
which means we don't need night vision goggles. He is the one that means when we pick up the bottle with a message in it, we read the message, we realise that we need rescue, but he does the rescuing. He's the one that is able to save you and me. This is the life transforming message because Jesus is our redeemer. In Ephesians 1 verse 7 it says, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace he has lavished on us. We have a redeemer, we have a rock, the cornerstone of our faith revealed in scripture, displayed in the skies, but one that we can personally know, not just a rock to stand on, a redeemer to walk with us through life's highs, through life's lows. And so this is a life transforming message. It's not trapped, it's not outdated, it's not irrelevant, it's relevant, it's urgent, it can be known, it can be experienced because Jesus is our redeemer. He is the acceptable, pleasing one. And so this language of sacrificial systems that creeps in in verse 13, blamelessness, innocence, transgressions, pleasing in God's sight, is all achieved through the work of Jesus in his obedient death on the cross and his powerful resurrection. The sacrifice once for all, the one that means we can stand in God's presence and he looks at us and can be pleased because Jesus has made that possible. The life-transforming message, written in the skies, declaring the glory of God. Worship him. The life-transforming message, desire and delight in the scriptures. They're like gold and honey. They're refreshing for your soul. Read it. And the message of a servant, deliver me and declare me righteous. It's possible. Rescue is on the table. Because we've got a rock, because we've got a redeemer in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you that you love us as the steadfast covenant God. I thank you that you've revealed yourself through the skies, through the scriptures, but as servants, as people that look to you, the great creator, we can know you through Jesus Christ, our rock, our redeemer. Thank you. Help us to respond with a life of worship. Help us to respond with a commitment to read your word. Help us just to come back to you day after day and know that you're our deliverer, that you declare us righteous because you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.